Hi, my name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. and her husband Matt about six years ago when they uh, did a lesson with me with their brand new puppy Lola who is this uh, tiny fawn colored would you say? Uh, we call it cream. Cream. Um, French bulldog who was just just the cutest little like potato of a dog. She has like (laughs) she has like no neck which adds to her adorableness I think. And, um, and, uh, they actually started doing classes when School for the Dogs was located in my apartment, which is where we are right now. In a previous iteration, it was the School for the Dogs classroom. And, uh, I wanted to talk to Rachel for this episode because, um, I think even before dogs on Instagram were sort of a thing, she had an account for Lola on Instagram and uh, I started following it and just sort of became obsessed with Lola's Instagram and was like, who, who is this person writing it? I mean, I knew it was Rachel, but it wasn't, it wasn't the, the voice of the woman who works in finance who I had met in her apartment. It was the voice of this hilarious um, tiny French bulldog. And I think a lot of people um, kind of develop a voice for their dogs, but I think uh, you do it better than you do it better than most. Thank you. So why don't we talk quickly? Let, just tell me about how how Lola came into your life. Sure. So my husband and I had different views on a dog in general. I had grown up with a dog, and he grew up uh, in a very animal free house, and was not that interested in the idea of a dog. But I was very persistent, and when we moved to Manhattan, there were Frenchies that started to be everywhere. They weren't as kind of everywhere as they are now, but they were... Where did you move from? Uh, we moved from college. We met in Syracuse, uh, and then we moved to the city. Uh, we were both local. We grew up here, but not really in Manhattan, um, you know, so you don't get that much exposure to all the different breeds of dogs when you're living in the suburbs. So we moved to Manhattan, and we started seeing Frenchies, and I had thought I wanted a beagle. And then I read somewhere one time, and it was, this was all it took me, that beagles are terrible in the city because they just have their nose to the ground, and it's really, really hard uh, to manage that. So I said, okay, let's forget. But we started seeing Frenchies everywhere, and I don't remember if we looked it up or we just talked about it, but we started this obsession that just you know kind of grew. And the, the worst of it was we would follow people with Frenchies around the city. And it's funny because people do that to me now, and it's 
very, very clear that they're doing it. And we legitimately thought that people did not know that we were doing it. We would send video videos to each other. And then at some point we discovered Frenchies on Instagram. And there were a couple that we really fell in love with. We thought we had to have that exact Frenchie from that exact breeder. And a few of them are our very close friends now, which is always... Who are some of the ones you were following on Instagram? So uh, the Daily Walter was one of the first Frenchies we followed. And uh, Walter's parents are now some of my best friends in real life. So it's just... I remember the first time we met, we were so starstruck, and now it seems so silly. <laughs> but there were a couple of dogs that were just so early on Instagram. So on um, for Frenchies, it was Manny the Frenchie, who we don't know personally, but you know they were very big. And Barkley out in Seattle was very big, very early. And I think that those people that were early movers just still have a naturally way bigger fan base because it was before a, the concept of a dog account was everywhere. Um, but Walter was really the biggest one that we followed and we talked about in every post we fawned over and, you know, we tried to figure out what breeder he was from and we said, okay, we, you know, we have to have a dog from that breeder and, you know, that evolved over time. And then what ended up happening is uh, I put a deposit down for Lola without telling Matt because I was scared he would say no. And I just, you know, he was into it, but I didn't think he would want to pull the trigger. So I just, I just put a deposit down and I said, we're getting a dog. Sorry. And that was it. Worked out in the end. Yeah. Still happily married. Still happily married. <laughs> he, you know, he grew up in um, a house without animals. And I think the biggest thing for him was the dog is outside on the sidewalk and then the dog is inside on my couch. And it was hard for him to reconcile that. And growing up with a dog, I didn't even think twice about it. But mm -hmm. I can understand where when you don't grow up with a dog, it's like you wouldn't crawl on the sidewalk and then crawl in your bed without I think washing does, your hands. It you does know? require a certain uh, like barrier in your mind yeah, to get totally. past that. Absolutely. Uh, so you got Lola then from the same breeder as... as no, we oh. didn't. We ended up looking online. Uh, and, you know, there's tons of breeders out there online. You can pretty quickly tell who's reputable and who's not just based on a, you know, kind of basic search and honestly common sense. Um, and then it takes a while, you know, if you're using a reputable breeder to wait for a litter that you want or wait for a spot that you want or if you know you want a male or a female, which we didn't know or care about the gender, but we did know we wanted cream just because we liked the look of it. So we ended up waiting and we wanted, you know, the right time of year for whatever was going on in our lives at that time. So we ended up waiting a couple months, but we found a breeder that was random to us. It didn't come recommended. Um, I think we felt a little desperate at the end, so we just sort of picked something that worked without you know, maybe waiting to the exact right time, but obviously, you know, it ended up working out for us. And Lola was the only dog in her litter, so we ended up having no choice, hmm. um, which was kind of nice in the end because I can imagine, you know, the oh, choice is I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's how she came so to me. So tell me about you first meeting her. Did you – I remember when I first got my, my dog Amos as a puppy thinking, like, what if I don't like his personality? <laughs> <laughs> so – I, in the weeks before we got Lola, was so afraid that she was going to be a full-grown dog by the time we picked her up. It felt like every day that went by, we were missing her growing up. You know, the breeder would take us take pictures and send them to us, and every picture she looked older and older. And I remember saying to my husband, oh, my God, she's going to be 10 pounds. She's going to be 15 pounds. She's going to be huge. We're missing her puppy. She was just a tiny dumpling. Yeah, I mean, so we, we drive to this breeder who is in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. Uh, our Google Maps shut off. We just basically had to, like, find this house. And this tiny little four-pound potato greets us at the door. And I just remember, like, everything melted away. I couldn't believe that this tiny little thing would be ours. And, you know, the breeder was kind of matter-of-fact. She showed us how to clip her nails, which we have never been able to do on our own, and, you know, gave us a bunch of sheets, and we signed the papers, and she kind of sent us on our way, and we were terrified. <laughs> 
Now you're dog parents. Now we're dog parents, and we think we're pretty good at it, but, I mean, those first couple days were, you know, they're hard. It's, I think it's like bringing home an infant, Mm -hmm. and we don't have kids, but my friends with infants will fight that comparison, but I, I mean, it's eat, sleep, poop, be terrified, have no idea what you're doing, you know, it's completely around the clock, there was no time off, and it felt like that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think... I mean, I wouldn't say dogs, it's harder to have a dog than a kid or it's harder to have a kid than a dog. I think, frankly, it depends on the kid and depends on the dog and the situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I definitely know people who have had harder times having dogs than people have had having kids. If only because, you know, a dog can seriously injure you and if something goes wrong, you actually have to consider Mm -hmm. putting them down, which is never never a choice that parents uh, have to consider, fortunately or unfortunately. (laughs) But, um... Tell me then about how her her social media presence then began to develop. Sure. So since we knew about the dog community on Instagram before we got her Mm -hmm. and we knew that we liked the concept of it, we started an account before we got her. Oh, wow. And we actually chose the name Lola Barksdale because some of the dog accounts that we liked on Instagram had two names. And it was the Daily Walter. Carrie's going to laugh at me when she (laughs) hears this. Who was Walter Cronkite. And we just liked the idea of Of a dog with a last name? Yeah. It just, for whatever reason, it just really clicked with us, and we thought it was this cool thing. And Barksdale, is that after The Wire? It is after The Wire. So at that point in time, we had probably just finished our first full viewing of The Wire. We really, (laughs) really liked it. Matt fought for the name Stringer Bella, which to me was a non-starter. I thought that was really (laughs) silly. I didn't want something that was kitschy. I I wanted something that really made sense, and that was a plausible, actual last name. So there's a couple uh, players in the NFL right now who are named Barksdale. So whenever we see them on TV with the jersey, we're like, oh, Barksdale. It's your uncle. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So we knew we wanted a last name, and that just made perfect sense because obviously the bark part made it funny for a dog. Um, And then Lola, we had a couple short names, uh, short listed names. We practiced saying them. We shouted them (laughs) across to each other in the apartment. Uh, One of them was Olive. We'd say, hey, Olive, and, you know, just kind of felt what was right, and we just felt like Lola was right. Uh, So we named the account Lola Barksdale. We posted a couple pictures, really bad Blackberry pictures, before we got her. And then we started it right away. And I did not have a plan. Uh, we didn't have a plan that I would be kind of the main photographer, copywriter, community manager, editor, everything. It just sort of evolved that way. Um, and we started... Is it now like 100% you or like, is it like 90 It is and 95% me. Um, <laughs> And it's just, it's it's been okay that way. Matt takes some really good photos, but we've actually, I'm sure we'll get into this later, sometimes the best photos don't do the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started it right away, and I don't think, I think if I went back to those early posts, it probably did not have the same consistent voice that it does now. Uh, I'd probably not want to go back to those early posts because of the photo quality and, and the inconsistency. But what we tried to do at first was just get people to follow us. Mm-hmm. That was the goal at first, and to meet people, uh, both in real life and on Instagram. So I sort of just played the hashtag game. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I will say that so many people ask me, how did she get a following? What did you do? And what I have to say is that when we were doing this, it was late 2013, Instagram was really different. 
So it's not possible, I think, to replicate what we did now because it was completely chronological. There was no concept of sponsored posts. There was no selling. There was no stories. You know, it was incredibly different. And the thing about the chronological feed is that it made it really easy to understand what did well and what didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we could see the impact of a post right away and we could we could sort of follow it through the timeline even without any insights or analytics. You know, you so just do, got a better feel for it. To the un, uninitiated, <laughs> at some point, from what I understand, Instagram went from showing things chronologically to showing users things based on popularity or interest, right? Based on popularity and interest and also what Instagram thinks that you want to see. So, so I think that So the, it's possible now I might see a post that you did... Two weeks ago, I don't. Or... I don't think it goes that far back, but you could certainly see as the top post in your feed a photo that I posted twelve hours ago, or I might post three photos that you never see, as even if you scroll really far back. And I think that the methodology behind that is that Instagram and now Facebook, who owns Instagram, thinks that the average person can only consume it's something like three hundred pieces of content a day. So depending on your scrolling habits and how often you open the app, they show you, you know don't quote me on this, 300 mm-hmm. pieces of content a day. And they decide for you what you want to see. see. And so how many followers does she have? So now? Lola has, uh, I think, 158,000 followers. Mm-hmm. And what was always the most frustrating thing to me when we moved from chronological to the, um, the current setup is that I felt like if somebody explicitly hit follow and wanted to follow Lola, they should see her posts. Mm-hmm. And I, it was kind of this like thing that I was like, that's not fair. They chose to follow her. It's not fair that they can't see her posts. And, you know, it is what it is, and you sort of learn to deal with it. One of the most interesting stats I saw, I went through a phase of like really trying to dig into the algorithm and understand it. I'm sort of over that now because it is what it is. But one of the interesting stats I saw was that over half of Lola's followers follow like two or 3,000 other accounts which was not something I thought about. So then I said, oh, even if it was chronological, I mean, they're covering, th- they're uh, following thousands of accounts. Who knows how active those accounts are, but we're just this tiny thing in their whole big social what, media. Universe. What would you say has driven you? Is it just sort of like a hobby? Is it? Is there a goal? Is it just, I mean, fun? Yeah. How, how would you describe it? So we get that question a lot, and I think in the early days, the goal was some sort of round number of followers. It was 1,000, it was 10,000, it was 100,000. Now that things are harder, and it's harder to grow followers, and it's harder to figure out what drives engagement, I think that the goal for me is still getting Lola out there. But is it like, I mean, are those milestone numbers, is it because it's just sort of fun to feel like there's a goal? Yeah, yeah. it's totally fun. It's fun to have a dog who's famous. It's really fun. (laughs) It's been great at work. It's a great conversation starter. Mm -hmm. The most fun thing is when we meet someone, and I try not to outwardly say it. I I don't just say, hey, my dog's famous. And they're like, what do you mean your dog's famous? (laughs) Or like, hey, my dog's on Instagram. I try to only say it if it comes naturally. But... The best thing is to meet somebody or talk to somebody and say, hey, you know, my dog's on Instagram. They say, oh, you know, I follow this dog, Lola. And they're like, oh, my God, you're Lola's owner. You know, <laughs> the, meeting someone who's a fan who doesn't know that I'm Do you ever get Lola's stopped on the street? All the time. Wow. We get stopped uh, on the street all the time, especially because where we live in Dumbo in Brooklyn is a very specific kind of small area. It's very touristy. So we've heard very often, I don't know if this is true or not, that a lot of tourists who come kind of 
roam around looking for Lola, but we've run into people very often who are tourists and they're just hanging out in the neighborhood, but there's a decent likelihood you're going to run into Lola if you're there the whole day. Right. You know, I mean, she's <laughs> out in the neighborhood four or five times a day for a half so, hour at a time. So tell me about Lola's like online persona and how that developed. I guess for someone who's never seen her account, yeah. doesn't know you, like what would be your, your, you know, elevator pitch description of who she is on Instagram? That's a good question. <laughs> so Lola is, Lola discovered unicorns before the rest of the world did. <laughs> and I think that the concept of that is really apt for her, even though we've tried to evolve it as unicorns have kind of come and gone in, you know, in the zeitgeist. <laughs> she is super needy, but not in an obnoxious way, kind of in a funny way. Um, she has no idea that she's a dog, but doesn't think she's a human. Like she just, she has this air about herself where she really likes what she likes and she doesn't understand why anything else would be that way. And so we have a couple very specific things. Like she loves the color purple, uh, wherever she's living at the time. So we used to have a tent. So she, she had a tent and she had a tent association and she had an interior designer and you know, it's all completely made up. It's like, <laughs> the, you know, the, the stuff of a kind of four year old playtime. Um, you know, she has a cabana outside, so she asked the pool boy for a purple drink and, you know, little things like that. She but, loves the name Fiona. Yes, she loves the name Fiona. We're, she loves alpacas. I have no idea where that came from. Part <laughs> of it is just, you know, it's a creative outfit for me. I live in spreadsheets all day long, and I just kind of come up with something sometimes. Yeah. So, for instance, her latest thing for the last year or so is that she's a floof dragon, which, you know, is nothing. I don't know. I, I literally just made it up one day, which might be disappointing <laughs> to people who are like, oh, she's so creative. Where does it come from? And I don't have a great answer for where it comes from, but... She had did, uh, the origin of Floof Dragon is Lola had just taken a bath, so she looked a little bit fluffier than she normally does, and she's not a fluffy dog. Um, and I had put this like big fleece sweater on her, and she was just giving me this funny look. And I just said, Oh, you're being a Floof Dragon, and that was just kind of it, you know. And woofles, woofles for waffles, also just you know, just trying to be silly but not stupid, if that makes any sense. Um, well, I, I think you've done a, a really amazing job of creating like a whole character yeah. around her that is. That is, I mean, like any character, it, it comes from you, but mm -hmm. it's based on this dog, and I guess it's also based on how you you see her. It's sort of some amalgam of. It's the hard two to things. tell. Yeah, it's hard to tell if it's me or her, and if it's you know if we're kind of combining the two for sure. Um, the other thing is just about consistency. So creating a character is just a lot of doing the same thing over and over and over. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've tried to really not stray from those things. So if I, if there's, you know, four or five kind of things in her universe, so she loves carrots. So I make sure to, you know, weave that in all the time. Um, so videos of her chewing on carrots are really popular, you know, pictures where I, you know, where the caption is about her asking for carrots or talking about carrots. So, you know, I'll do that once a week or once every couple of months. Nothing unnatural, but I try to make sure that that consistency is there because that's what, that's what develops the character when people don't interact with her every day. But if, you know, if they say three, if they see three or four posts in a row and they all are around the same two topics, it starts to embed in people what she's all about. Yeah. Are there other dogs on Instagram that you think are successful as characters? There are a couple of accounts I love that I actually do think are doing what Lola does in terms of the very consistent voice and not really breaking that voice and really having just a few themes that they always go back to. And my favorite is on Twitter. A lot of people have probably heard of it or followed it. It's called uh, dog underscore feelings. This account is so cute and so funny. So the, the couple things that they do is the dog, who is actually a golden retriever, um, 
is on guard under the fridge watching a Skittle. And so it's kind of his job every night to walk the perimeter of the house and make sure that everyone is safe and then watch the Skittle. So he does that and, you know, <laughs> kind of reports back that it never moved. Uh, the other great thing that they do that took me a couple times to figure out, but Annie, you'll understand this right mm -hmm. away, is if something interesting or surprising happens, the dog sets the household alert level to either light gray, medium gray, or dark gray because <laughs> dogs are colorblind. <laughs> so I love that. Uh, the dog has a stuffed friend named Sebastian who he takes everywhere and, you know, he likes to show it to all his humans and he sits and waits while Sebastian is in the washing machine. Oh. Um, who so who runs that. this account? So I think... This, I think it's a teenage boy runs this account. From what I can tell, um, I think it's also the person who's behind We Rate Dogs. Mm -hmm. I'm not positive, but, you know, it's just one person. But, again, it's it's that consistent voice. It's really funny. It's just really endearing. Mm -hmm. And I think that matters. It's is, really is there sweet. anything on Facebook at the platform that you pay attention to dog-wise? No. No? And <laughs> what not about really. Instagram? So on Instagram. Do you have feelings about the dogist? I love his photos. Mm -hmm. I I don't know him. We have met a couple times. He photographed Lola once. I think that, no, I don't really have any feelings about it. <laughs> I think that the photography is great. I love that the dogs are varied. Like, I've actually found out about a lot of breeds from the dogists just because, you know, he writes what the breed is and writes how old the dog is. I love seeing the names of the dogs in the city. Um, that's kind of my only mm -hmm. thought on that. Any other any other uh, accounts that on Instagram that you think are worth worth mentioning? Mm -mm. No. I'm not going to shout out anybody else. <laughs> no, you know, I mean, everyone has their own sort of feeling and flair, and I've ended up gravitating towards the accounts that who, where I know the the adults and and the humans, and you know where those people are important to me, and their stories are funny. I really love dogs and kids. I think that's super cute. And so many uh, of the accounts that I follow started when, when we got Lola when she was a puppy. And as I said, you know, a lot of the, the humans or the owners didn't have kids. But now, over the years, they have had kids. And just to watch that interaction is just so cute and sweet. Um, and Frenchies especially seem just really funny with babies because they're bigger than the babies at first and you know they're they're sort of like these little Tonka trucks who don't understand you know Lola loves toddlers and will just run over any toddler I guess mm -hmm. she just thinks it's a dog so mm -hmm. I love watching that just in general that's super cute mm -hmm. and uh does who are some of Lola's real life best friends on Instagram so um Lola's best friend is named Phoebe she is a Maltipoo. So one of Lola's other things is that she really loves doodles or any sort of fluffy puppy, which is true in real life in addition to her character on Instagram. So Phoebe lives down the hall. And the interesting thing about Phoebe is she lives down the hall but on the floor below us. And Lola does not understand the physics of Phoebe living on the floor below us. So yesterday we went to Phoebe's house on the floor below us and we walked up the stairs and then Lola immediately goes to the end of the hallway where Phoebe lives, not realizing that we have just walked up the stairs to another floor. <laughs> and so every day, after every walk out of the elevator, Lola turns the other way towards Phoebe's house, and Aww. I have to pick her up and carry her. Uh, so that's her current best friend. Um, she has a best friend named... So is Phoebe now famous, too, you think, in her own way? <laughs> um, I try to showcase Phoebe as much as possible. I'm sure she'll be happy about this shout-out. She's like the... 
the Rhoda to her, <laughs> to her Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, yeah. she's super cute, very fluffy, very mm-hmm. sweet, just kind of like a rag doll. It's interesting to pick up dogs that are fluffy after holding Lola for all these years because Lola is what you see is what you get. When she's soaking wet, she looks exactly the same as when she's dry. You know, she's mm-hmm. got zero fluff. But then to pick up a fluffy dog and, you know, you kind of feel their bones and, you know, mm-hmm. they... They weigh five pounds or seven pounds, and Lola's, you know, kind of a tank at yeah, eighteen yeah. pounds, even though she's tiny for a Frenchie. And who are who else were you going to say? Um, Marlo is the name of Lola's other best Frenchie friend. Is she on Instagram? He, he? is. He's also named after the Wire, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, he is on Instagram. They're not very active, um, but this is an example of somebody that we met on the street. Um, when Lola and Marlo were puppies, they just started playing on the street and, you know, we kind of introduced ourselves to the owners and now, you know, they're a really close friends of ours and this is Lola's sort of best playmate. They play together all the time really, mm. really well. We sort of go over there whenever she needs legitimate exercise, you know, for 45 minutes or mm-hmm. so. And now we've got lots of friends in the Frenchie community. So um, if you guys want to look at hashtag Team Fruit Loop. Oh, right. I've, yes. I remember that. So yeah. Fruit Loops was another Lola thing. Um she likes purple and only liked the purple Fruit Loops. Uh, obviously, she never actually had any Fruit Loops, but you know that's all part of the magic. So um, uh, the first big party we hosted for all of Lola's friends, I actually went to Costco and bought a couple giant size boxes of Fruit Loops and separated them. Um, so we had we had a whole bowl for the humans of purple Fruit Loops, and then we had sort of the reject other colored Fruit Loops. But Team Fruit Loop is the hashtag that we use as a community just to sort of follow each other. don't have such sort of character driven Instagrams. Would yeah. you say that? Would I you agree say with that? You. I think that it's not a requirement at all. And I think that it is pretty rare. And it does require, you know, a certain amount of dedication not to break the voice. Do, do you think there's certain kinds of dogs that do well? Are there like people who have really great photos? Are there just rare breeds or or it's So the most successful accounts that I follow, I would, I guess I would put in three categories. The first category is rescues. Um, often Pitbull accounts, there's a lot of Frenchie accounts that I follow too, but I think that those people have amazing stories to tell and it's really important to follow accounts like that. And I, while it's hard sometimes to see those situations, it makes me feel like the internet is a good place, which mm-hmm. is you know often hard to see in the world, but... I mean, when I can give $5 or $10 or $25 or just, you know, follow the story of a person who dedicates their life and their home and their family to, you know, to saving dogs. And not just dogs. We follow a couple bunny rescues and, you know, all sorts of other things. Mm-hmm. So those accounts do really well. And I think there's there's probably no voice there. It just changes from day to day and, and just tells the true story of that family or mm-hmm. that person. So that's sort of category number one. Category number two, I would say, is the amazing photographers out there. And I think there's probably a little bit of a different following for those people. I would imagine that they have dog lover or animal lover followers plus photography followers. Mm -hmm. So those accounts, to me, don't usually have a very consistent voice. I mean, they might, but it's about the photography and capturing amazing things. Mm -hmm. And then there's some gimmicky type of accounts that I think the dog might be super cute or... um, you know, the captions might be funny sometimes, but it's, you know, there's a dog that's always posing or a dog that's always eating or a dog that's always wearing clothes. You know, I'm, um, you know, a dog that is always wearing a bathrobe or laying in bed or doing memes, like things mm-hmm. that are a little bit more pop culture-y and posed and I think intended to gain engagement, which is completely fine. Uh, and then there's sort of everybody in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so... 
I don't know. I think that we're pretty unique in what we're trying to do, which is really just keep the dog as if she is a person running an Instagram account and this is what it is. Um, and you know, what you see is what you get and it's Lola. And so I try to answer DMs in Lola's voice and you know, it's difficult sometimes to, to keep that voice when somebody asks me a logistics question or whatever I try to answer and <laughs> you know, um, do you, but, do you have a background in any kind of creative writing? Did you do that in school? So, uh, a little bit, I majored in advertising in college and have always been interested in writing and in, you know, kind of media in a broad sense. And I guess when I majored in advertising, social media barely existed, but that's sort of it. I've, I've always been a good writer and enjoyed it. Obviously, you know, writing in kind of 200 characters or whatever was and not you, usually in my cards. And, and your, your day job is as? My day job is in finance. I work at Morgan Stanley and, you know, I'm kind of in front of a computer 12 hours a day crunching numbers and doing financial strategy. So this is a good outlet. I always joke to my friends that I, I post photos on my bathroom break at work. I just kind of sit in the stall and post my photo of the day. Um, <laughs> do you? But, yeah, I do. <laughs> I totally do. That's where the genius happens. Yeah. I'll have friends ping me at 9.15 in the morning. Hey, Lola just posted. What are you doing? Like, Nothing, well, just in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about opportunities that have come up because of Lola's celebrities. Have, sure. there, have there been any? So no. people always ask about money and assume that we've made a lot of money off of her. So I'm going to leave that for on the side for one second. And I'll first tell you about the opportunities socially, because I think that's been most, most important to me. We've met a lot of people in real life and being in New York, I think obviously helps with that because so many of these other dogs with accounts are in New York. We've met so many people that are truly, you know, some of my best friends now. And that to me has been the most important exposure. And I, and I see that, you know, running school for the dogs, yeah. that the people who have Frenchies have a much, um, not close their bond. It's a but strong community. There, yeah, there is this this Frenchy community that's different than all the different breed communities, and I do see a lot of it seems like it stems from Instagram. But, yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know what makes that Frenchy community stronger than other communities, but what my husband and I found when we first got Lola and first started meeting people is there was this whole group of people that we never would have met otherwise. We didn't grow up in the same place. We didn't run in the same circles. We didn't work in the same industries, but we were all roughly the same age, you know, kind of mid to late 20s. We were half married, half not. Most had not had kids yet and sort of got a dog, you know, first instead of having a kid. And it was just this group of like-minded people that we really came to like. And what I found is that through meetups and play dates, I started seeing these people a hell of a lot more than I saw, you know, my quote-unquote actual friends. <laughs> and so they become your community. Mm -hmm. And that's been the best thing about Instagram for me. In terms of the opportunities with Lola, either to monetize or to gain exposure, I don't have a great success story, and I think it's probably by choice. There are tons and tons and tons of platforms out there that are interested in connecting influencers with brands. There are places where you can just automatically sign up and say, I'm a dog, or I'm 10 years old, or I'm 50 years old, and I'm interested in fitness, or I'm interested in technology, and connect me with any brands. What we've found and I understand that this is a very high-class problem, is that I'm not interested in leaving work on a Wednesday at 1 p.m. to do a photo shoot and get $100. Right. It's just not convenient uh, for me and for my husband and just for our lives and honestly hasn't been worth it. I feel like the animal community is so saturated with quote-unquote influencers that brands do not have to try very hard to get any sort of collaboration. 
And we've just felt like it hasn't, it just hasn't been worth it. The exposure is not great. Most often brands will pay you literally $100 or $200 max for a post or they'll send you something and they don't agree to post your photo back. So for me, it was almost free advertising for the brand, you know, whether it's $100 mm -hmm. or not to them that, you know, call that a drop in the bucket. And it just didn't, it felt like I was compromising my content above anything else. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, it just didn't feel good. I didn't really well, like it. I, I think what you're saying is like that the, the monetary part is not why you're doing it. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I also, like the, the, there are different rewards. Yeah, exactly. And I do think that, yeah, those hundred or $200 obviously add up over time and it, you know, we are foregoing money by not really being that involved in that sponsorship community, but it just, it didn't work. It didn't work that well. Do you get me. approached by agencies? We get approached by agencies very, very occasionally. What we do get approached most by is brands directly, most often smaller brands, tons of brands that, to be honest, seem like they're not real brands. Like, you know, it's a form letter. Not maybe not real brands, but it's not a real outreach to an influencer that they care about. It's very clear they're just spamming everybody. Uh, and very often it's not a dog-related thing. You know, I'll get approached to sell wine or books or, you know, fine. But it just, the, you know, they're very clearly – I looked at your page and I loved your content is the email again. And, you know, <laughs> that's very clearly not directed towards Lola. Mm -hmm. And those, those I don't even respond to. If anyone writes to me and it's very clear that they actually have looked through our feed, I will for sure at least respond to them and talk to them. And most often tell them we're just not interested in partnerships. Um, and I'm not completely uninterested. It just has to be right and it has to be mutually beneficial or fun. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, you know, it has to be something that isn't torturing Lola. So, you know, often it's, you know, wearing something she doesn't want to wear or posing in something she doesn't want to do, and I just, you know, I'm not willing to, to do that. Um, have you thought about making, like, a, a book? A lot of people have asked me to make a book either just kind of of the Instagram posts and, you know, sort of maybe collate them in a way that tells a story or to write a book, I would absolutely love to write a book. Uh, we've had a couple of friends that have done books. It seems to me like they've had varying levels of success. I think to your question earlier, if we were to do it, we'd have to really think about why we were doing it. Mm -hmm. And is it to get her out there? Is it to try to make money? Is it just for fun? It just seems like a lot of work to do it right. And, you know, I, I would want to do it right. We'd have to think about if we wanted to do it illustrated or, you know, how it would look. And I would just want to make sure that, that we didn't feel disappointed at the end, that we spent a lot of time and didn't do it. But, yeah, that would be so much fun. We... I, I talk a lot about what a book could be or what a story I, could be. And I, it's because I make up stories for Lola all the time. Mm -hmm. And all it takes, I think, for a children's book is, you know, a three-minute story. Yeah, I feel like... I feel like that seems like it would be the right format. Yeah. Because it's, it's, you have such a good mix of, uh, of written content and photos. Tell me about what, what photos do well and how, how you take your photos. You don't sure. take it on an iPhone usually, So right? some of them are iPhone. I have an iPhone X or 10, whatever mm -hmm. it's called, which I do take photos on. And then I have what I'll call a real camera. I'm sure an actual photographer would not call it a real <laughs> camera. It's a Sony mirrorless camera. I am not a photographer um, so almost every photo I take is on the automatic setting. Mm -hmm. Uh, and people ask me about this all the time. The thing I get asked most about is how I capture Lola's expressions. And the dirty secret is that I keep my camera on the sports action setting, which is intended to capture really fast motion. And that is it. <laughs> and then what I do, 
honestly, is I post all the photos that everyone else would just throw away because it's a funny face mm-hmm. or just a bad face. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that I love. A mi- like mid-bark like or something. Mid-bark or mid-chew or lips pursed, about to yawn, about to sneeze, about to bark at me, you know, shaking her ears, turned around, whatever it is. I gravitate towards those photos because I think they're really funny and they help me tell the stories that I want to tell just because it captures that expression. But you do need a camera in decent light with a fast snapshot thing to be able to capture those and not have them be blurry. So I do um, take a lot of photos on the weekends since I'm, you know, at work all day and, uh, you know, unless it's the summer, I don't have access to a lot of daylight. That's another thing that people ask me a lot is, are the photos live? And no, they're not. I mean, I, I, I won't post a photo from six months ago and represent it as something that happened yesterday, but it might be from three weeks ago, it might be from yesterday, and who cares? Right. You yeah. know, it doesn't really matter. I'm not going to post a photo of Lola in the snow when it's in the summer and, you know, course, not right. kind of allude <laughs> to the fact, but no, they're not, they're not live, they're not current. Um, and what about, um, what about stories versus the, your feed? Do you work as hard at each or not so much? That's a good question. So stories are definitely the biggest opportunity for me to spend more time on if I kind of made the time or chose to make the time. I think that some of the people I follow, not necessarily dog accounts, but but uh, accounts that I follow just on my own feed, very often uh, either artists or interior designers have these really cool curated stories where I'm pretty sure they use other apps to create, um, you know, backgrounds or borders and filters and, you know, everything looks really good. I don't spend the time to do that. What I like to do in stories is actually keep it live. Mm-hmm. And just whatever we're doing at that moment in time, it's almost always sitting on the floor in the living room, chewing on something <laughs> or, you know, having a snack. But that's what I use stories for. And I also use it as an opportunity to just not have polished photos. You know, I kind of don't care. And I think most people don't about the quality of stories nearly as much as I do about the quality of posts. I do think it's really interesting that Lola's stories on average get, I think, five or 6,000 views and her posts also get, you know, about five or 6,000 likes, but certainly they reach a lot more people. So stories do have a good amount of reach. Mm-hmm. And I've said that to brands often when they've approached me and asked me to post, you know, a story or a, like a still post. And I've just said, you know, just by the way, I'm just, I don't know, trying to be helpful, mm-hmm. that I think stories actually do better and people do see them more. Yeah. And we do get a lot of actions on our stories, whether it's uh, people sharing them with others or, you know, responding. I don't do a lot of, like, the polls or questions. I could do more of those things. Do you Have you encountered any, any bumps, any people trolling you, any criticism from people you know or don't know? That's a great question. I try very hard to avoid posting content that will get me trolled. And so no is the answer. I have very, very few experiences with people being mean, but that is because I try to be hyper aware of it. So um, people like my parents disagree with this strategy, but I am incredibly secular, incredibly non-political. I don't post a picture with Lola eating something that I know somebody's going to have a problem with. I just am not interested in dealing with that. And I don't have the type of personality that I would feel like I had to reply. I just don't care. Um, you know, some people, the, the one the one piece of content that occasionally people will say something to me is if I post videos of Lola sleeping, which to me is the sweetest thing, and they say, oh my God, your dog snores so much, she can't breathe, which I know is not true. And I have zero interest in speaking, you know, back to those people about that issue. But in general, I do try hard to keep it as non-controversial as possible. And that might be a controversy sort of in and of itself. I mean, I think 
especially around politics, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes because I know I have this voice and I have this platform that I could express my own personal views, but I've just chosen absolutely not to. Well, it's almost like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a 12 year old girl and your content totally appeals to me, (laughs) but I almost feel like your audience is like a 12 year old girl. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Which is like, how can you yeah. How can you disagree with something that a kid would just find delight in? And that's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. I try to keep it always, not always light, mm-hmm. but, you know, out of controversy mm-hmm. and sort of out of politics, Well, really. I, think, I think if you're putting something on social media, that's a wise thing to do so you don't waste your time in, yeah. in the mud. Um, have you encountered people that, that you know or your family who's, who are like, why are you devoting your time to this? That's interesting. I have, when I encounter someone who doesn't have any idea that people put their dogs on Instagram, it is very hard for them to understand Mm. what I do and what I'm talking about. And those people are fewer and further between than they have been in the past. But certainly two or three years ago, I remember seeing a friend at a wedding who I kind of grew up with but have lost touch with. And, you know, she asked me what I was doing. And I told her about Lola's Instagram. She said, "I, I just... She just did not comprehend what I was saying, that I had a dog on Instagram that had their own account, and it was just this completely foreign <laughs> concept. But otherwise, I think people do understand it. Uh, I try not to spend too much time on it, but, you know, you end up spending a decent amount of time, and I think it does take a lot of effort to maintain a following and mm-hmm. to maintain a community. And that's the other thing I tell people when they ask me, you know, sort of how we do it or for advice, and I say, you have to put in the time. You can't just post a cute photo and go away. You have to reciprocate. You have to comment on people's photos and it has to be a real comment if you're just you know copying and pasting some stupid comment over and over that's not going to get you anywhere it's you know it's kind of like real life you just have to you have to put in the effort to genuinely build relationships and if you don't want to do it that's fine don't do it but don't expect all of a sudden you know your dog to get twenty thousand extra followers on instagram it's just not going to happen that way so what what's next for for you or for the account could you see going into some kind of social media thing full-time or no no i don't think so um it, I like my job. I like <laughs> finance. I like this as an outlet. Uh, I certainly couldn't pay the rent if I went into social media full time, I think. Uh, I mean, maybe I could. But um, no, I think this is kind of it. We're just going to keep going. I think that Instagram has gotten increasingly more frustrating. And I know that that's sort of the broad sentiment out there that it's it's just more and more difficult. There's so much more ambiguity about the algorithm and about how to be successful. There's so many other accounts out there. It has lost its luster a little bit for me and for others. So I do go through phases a little bit where, you know, I will feel like I don't want to post or I'll feel like I'll take a couple days off, which I never used to do. In the early days, I would post two or three times a day, every single day. It was the first thing I checked in the morning. But now, you know, I've noticed that on Saturdays her posts don't do well. So I've just post stopped posting on Saturdays and It's nothing to me. It's Mm -hmm. not a big deal anymore. So, you know, I think it sort of ebbs and flows just, you know, as I evolve. Mm -hmm. But I don't have any broader goals in this. It's a lot of fun. You know, maybe if there's a new social media platform out there, we would experiment with it. But it would be funny if you created an entirely new character character around her. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I say that because, like, I I, I mean, I, I think that every dog is... So so much of every dog is what we project on the dog. Oh, absolutely. You know, and like yeah. the dog I see when I look at my dog is not necessarily the dog you see. And, yeah. And there, I have some clients who I can I see they see their dog. One in particular, I'm thinking of a client who like sees her dog as like really prissy and entitled and 
and uh, I, I imagine her dog as sort of a more, I don't know, like rough and tumble mm-hmm. kind of anything goes dog. Yeah. And, you know, you can't say that one of us is right and one of us is wrong. It's just our different perceptions. And it always reminds me of, of really people too, you know, like no two people see the same person in the same way. What were you saying? I was saying that I think that so much of your success in your job is in helping dog owners not anthropomorphize and right. actually understanding the behavior of their dogs right. because they're dogs. Right. And that's important too. And sometimes I do try to take a step back and say, okay, she's whining. It was cute for a second. I got a video, but is she okay? Is there something wrong? Is she just demanding attention right. or actually is there something wrong? Well, frankly, I think it, you know what you're doing doesn't bother me at all in that way because it's like such a ridiculous extreme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. <laughs> it's, it's more frustrating to me when, when – I mean, I, I say more as if it's it's not fr- what mm-hmm. you're doing doesn't frustrate me even in the tiniest bit. But it, I do sometimes get frustrated when I see people making interpretations about their dog's behavior rather than looking at like what the dog is actually doing. Right? right? Like, you know, f- the typical one is like he's being stubborn. Like, well, what are what's the evidence of what he's actually doing rather than you know, and what does stubborn really mean? Right. Like, stubborn usually means like what I want is more interesting to me than whatever you want from me and. Um, or, you know, he's annoyed. Well, how do you know he's annoyed? But, but, um, you know, I think taking it to the, to the, to the sort of comical extreme is like a whole, a whole other thing. And I do think that we try to make it clear, not explicitly clear, but it should be obvious to any follower of Lola's account that she is very well taken care of, very well understood. And, you know, so, I mean, there shouldn't be a question that, you know, she's ever unhappy or being, you know, made to be upset by anything that we're doing. We're just trying to capture the the regular daily antics. You're doing a great job. Thank you. I love it. Well, thanks so much for talking to me about her. Thank you for having me. I hope some people listen to this maybe who don't know about her and and discover the the wonder that is Lola Barksdale. At Lola Barksdale. No spaces, (laughs) no dots. Oh, I have one last tip for people. When you're creating your Instagram handle, make it easy to spell. If you've got an underscore or a dash or an I or an A in in a weird place, like you should be able to say it to someone and they should be able to remember it and type it into their phone without having to do spaces, dots, or dashes. What's interesting too is you can't have capital letters in it. mm -hmm. And sometimes if you don't have a capital letter and you don't have a underscore or a dot, it can sort of... It all looks like one word. It looks like one word in Mm -hmm. a funny way. So that's another, that's a a good tip about making it easy to, to spell and remember. Great. Well, I think there's some really great tips here. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Give a kiss to Lola for me. I will. Our woof shout out this week goes to Suki. If you've uh, been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you might have heard me mention Suki before. She is a sweet French bulldog, also cream colored who's been fostered by uh, two of our clients, Michelle and Sahu, who are owners of Bucky the Frenchie, uh, for over a year. They've been trying to find her the perfect home, and it seems like they maybe just found her the right place. Uh, I'm going to read this from Bucky's foster crew, the Instagram account where they have chronicled their experience fostering sweet Suki. They wrote, um, this was two days ago, they wrote, The day has come where our sweet, misunderstood Suki has found her forever family. Today, Suki is officially adopted. It's been a long road, 
over a year, and we would li sincerely like to thank everyone for their support. It's never an easy day for us. Adoption day is always filled with happiness, anxiety, and sadness, but we know it's the right home for Suki. She will be in a home with a fenced-in backyard and have someone home with her most days of the week. She won't have to deal with any of the triggers that fill her with anxiety and dread, the triggers that lead her to lash out and nip at what makes her uncomfortable. She will get to be a regular dog who can sit atop a couch, staring out the window, barking at any squirrels who dare come too close to her front lawn. We are thrilled for her. She has an enormous amount of love to give, and she has finally found a family to give it to. Congrats, Suki. We love you. Isn't that sweet? Um, so I'm so hopeful that things are going to work out for Suki in her new home. You can go to the hashtag Suki is adopted. That's S-U-K-I is adopted to uh, see some posts about her and her new home. And um, big, uh, big thumbs up to Sahu and uh, Michelle for just being such incredible foster parents. And now they're going to be able to open up their home to a new dog. Although I wonder if maybe they need a rest after uh, having had this particular foster dog for so long and uh, given her so much love and attention. And our fun dog fact of the day, um, up until the late 1800s, French bulldogs actually had two kinds of ears. They had, uh, some of them had the kind of bat ears that we know and love today, but many of them had what's called rose-shaped ears, uh, which are kind of like crinkly ears that fold backwards so that you can sort of see part of the inner ear. And uh, the rose-shaped ear was the more common ear, I believe, in Europe. But Americans did not like it. American breeders insisted that the standing up bat ears were the only kind of ears a French bulldog should have. And this led to American breeders actually protesting that the famous Westminster dog show was allowing these rose-eared French bulldogs in their show. So the American breeders started their own show and their own club, the French Bulldog Club of America. They had their first show in 1898 at the Waldorf Astoria and ever since then at least in America French Bulldogs have had upright ears. Special thanks to Alex Chris for producing this podcast and to Jazz Banjo Rex who can be found on YouTube for his version of the Gershwin song on the ukulele Play a Simple Melody. Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by telling your friends about it, leaving a review, or shopping in our online store. You can learn more about us and sign up to get lots of free training resources when you visit us online at schoolforthedogs.com. 